If there's one new term that has gained common currency over the last 12 months, apart from Brexit, that is, um, then it is the term fake news. Um, it has been used to describe stories about both candidates in the US election campaign last year. It uh, was used since his election by President Donald Trump to describe stories that he didn't regard as true. It's an issue for social media companies such as Facebook and Google who are told to invest more in helping readers to identify fake news. And it's entered that key market of cultural cool, which is teenager speak. Um, because when they're told something they don't believe, they just apply fake news and move on. I speak with some authority here. <laughs> Although fake news is used by some people, such as President Trump, to write off stories that they don't like but are actually true, fake news basically describes stories which are not true but which are written as if they are true and which are so both shocking and enticing that we'd quite like them to be true if we came from a particular perspective. Do you know what I mean? They kind of tally into something we'd like to believe. So, for example, the headline in 2016 that said, Obama signs executive order banning the Pledge of Allegiance in schools nationwide would appeal to a Republican voter because it provided evidence of something they sort of believed, that, that the US president was somehow trying to ban the Pledge of Allegiance. Or, or likewise, when the headline came up, Trump offers free one-way tickets to Africa and Mexico for those who want to leave America... You know, the anti-Trump supporters, yeah, this is real. It's just fake news. Fake news is written to chime in with what we want to believe, even if it seems too good to be true. So, you know, there are fake news about getting back with your boss, getting rich, losing weight, living longer. You may have seen these sort of stories at the bottom of websites. This Thames Ditton woman earns £3,000 a week working from home. Here's how. Or, this woman from Weybridge has lost two stone without exercising, using this one weird trick. I tell you, I haven't clicked, I tell you, it's fake news. And the problem is, it seems to me, is that with all this fake news around, we're not quite sure what the real news is anymore. What's true and what isn't. So what are we to make of this news story? Man from Nazareth comes back from the dead in Jerusalem and can help you do the same. Fake news, nice to believe, but too good to be true. That's the question we've got to think about this Easter Sunday. Where does the story of the resurrection of Jesus belong? As fake news or good news? Is it something we can believe and celebrate or need to set aside and forget? Perhaps you're here this morning because it's Easter Day and you come to church at Easter and it's a nice thing to do, but you don't actually believe a word of it. Perhaps you're here this morning because you'd like to believe, but it just feels too good to be true. Perhaps you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ, but you actually want more evidence to see if this thing can really be relied upon. I'm going to suggest that in the Gospel account we heard just now from Luke's Gospel, we're going to see that although the story of Jesus' resurrection is indeed shocking, that it carries with it evidence that is not fake news, but real news, and not only real news, but good news, which was needed then and which is needed today. So what I'm going to help us see this morning is kind of look at how that news was originally a very great shock, both to the original eyewitnesses and also to the first readers of the gospel. And then I'm going to suggest that how the resurrection gave those first eyewitnesses a new perspective on who Jesus was, on what death is about, 
and what life involves. Uh, can I encourage you to have your Bibles open if you can, because it will help us go through the passage together. There are Bibles in the seats just in front of you. It's on page 1061. There's a batting order in your new sheet that will help us kind of just track those two points, a great shock and a new perspective. A great shock and a new perspective. Luke chapter 24, page 1061. So my first heading is a great shock. A great shock. One of the problems with Easter Sunday, it seems to me, is that it happens every year. Yeah, what I mean by what I mean by that is, apart from it moving round, so we never know when it's going to happen, uh, it, it does turn up on a spring Sunday, two days after Good Friday. We know it's going to happen. You know, Jesus is died, Jesus is raised, move on. But because of that, we can easily forget what a tremendous shock the events of that first Easter Sunday were to those who were there. First of all, it was a shock to the women. Let's just track their emotional journey, shall we? That first Easter Sunday. Luke tells us in verse 1, on the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. He's already told us, by the way, a few verses back, that these women had followed Jesus down from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, had seen Jesus crucified, and then followed Joseph of Arimathea, who had placed Jesus' body in the tomb. Can we imagine their despair as they made their way in the dark, like we did this morning up Telegraph Hill, as they made their way to the tomb? The one in whom they had placed so much hope, his life snuffed out by the Romans. Now the spices they brought with them, that would perfume the decaying body they knew, but no herbs would bring him back. But their despair turns to confusion as they find the stone rolled away in verse 2 and the tomb empty in verse 3. Luke says in verse 4, this is classic Bible understatement, they were wondering about this. Too right they were wondering about it. <laughs> so many questions would have been going through their head. You know, where's the body? Who's taken it? Why? From despair to confusion, then to terror as two men appear with a brightness about them that both dazzled them and terrified the women. Such beings, they think, must be angels sent from God, they surmise. And so their only response is to fall to the ground in fear. The day, by the way, has just got worse. Angels pitching up are not generally good news. There's a reason why the first word that angels say is, do not be afraid, most of the time. Yeah? The reason why is they're terrifying. You know, the women's day has just got worse. But then they hear the words of the angels... And the angels remind them about what Jesus said, and they remember. And their emotions change from being struck dumb and motionless in terror to suddenly being motivated to go to the disciples and telling them what they've seen. So let's not under, underestimate the shock value. These were not women saying, oh yeah, we're going to the tomb, but it's all right because it's Easter Sunday, so you know, he's going to be alive, so that's good news. You know, no, no. These are people who were convinced he was dead and was going to stay dead. And they were gobsmacked to find him preached as alive. But if it was a shock to the women, it was a shock to the men as well. Uh, the disciples. The women run back to the city of Jerusalem and tell the closest followers of Jesus what they've heard and seen. Look at their reaction, by the way, in verse 11. They did not believe the woman 
because the women, because their words seem to them like nonsense. That's the New Testament equivalent of fake news. Yeah? That word nonsense. It's basically saying, yeah, whatever, fake news, move on. The disciples write off the women's story as fake news. It would be lovely if it were true. They'd like nothing more. But it ain't going to be so. It's too shocking to be true. Peter, of course, just has a sniff. There's something going on. He runs to the tomb, and he's left wondering as he finds an empty tomb. The empty tomb, the reported resurrection of Jesus, was a huge shock to the women and to the disciples. I want to say it was also a huge shock to the first readers of Luke's Gospel. Not not the fact of Jesus' resurrection, that was preached throughout the Roman Empire by the time that Luke wrote his words. But no, it's the way that Luke told the story that was such a shock, you know. Before I say how, just a reminder, Luke was writing his gospel in the mid-60s AD. That's about 30 years after the original events took place. In order to capture the eyewitness evidence of those who saw the events of Jesus' life. Now, Luke himself was not an eyewitness. He was a doctor in what is now southern Turkey. But in his research, he says this at the beginning of his gospel, in his research, he carefully investigated the sources about Jesus and went on the record of eyewitnesses. And he wanted to write an orderly and historically reliable account of Jesus' life so that his readers, who were probably Gentiles, i.e. non-Jews, could have confidence in the story of Jesus. That's what he aimed to do. And given that, it is really shocking the prominence that Luke gives to women as eyewitnesses in his resurrection narrative. For what was in many places still a hugely patriarchal world, the evidence of a woman was not regarded by most men as reliable as the evidence of a man. And that applied in both a Jewish and a Roman context, by the way. And so it would seem an odd choice, wouldn't it? If you're writing this resurrection story, if you want to show it's true, who do you choose as your eyewitnesses? Who do you choose to find the empty tomb? Not a bunch of women. Not if you're a good first century historian. Apart from, you would if it was true. You would if you were not making this up, but actually setting out a reliable record of people who you had met or whose stories you had heard, and then you tell it exactly how it was. There's something really true about the way that Luke tells the story. Uh, And Luke, by the way, I want to point this fascinating point of detail in verse 10. Look at the words of the names of these eyewitnesses. He says, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and some others. I've done a little bit of research on this. It seems to be clear that when Luke is telling us their name, he's like he's putting a footnote in an academic article and saying... This is the evidence. These are the eyewitness sources. He's almost saying, I've checked this out with them, and they told me it was true. He's almost saying, you can go and ask them for yourselves. They were probably women in their 60s by this point, perfectly alive. And Luke's saying, I've talked to them, and it's true. You wouldn't make up a story like this, but that's the whole point. This is not made up. This is how it happened. It was a shock. And so I guess I want to question us this morning, will we see the resurrection of Jesus as the shock that it was then? The resurrection was not and is not an an, an expected event. Crucifixion left people very, very dead. They did not come back to life three days later. Neither the women nor the disciples expected this. It left them gobsmacked. 
But just because the resurrection is shocking does not mean it is not true. The fact that Jesus rising from the tomb is an entirely unexpected event does not make it fake news. Indeed, we've seen the way that Luke tells the story points to it being true historically. Here we have, brothers and sisters, an an eyewitness account from the first century using eyewitness evidence that the tomb was empty and Jesus was proclaimed as risen. My take on the resurrection is this. It is scientifically shocking, but historically plausible. It's scientifically shocking, but historically plausible. Scientifically shocking in that we cannot replicate it under laboratory conditions and a research methodology. You couldn't set it up as a case study. But it makes the best sense of the available historical evidence that we have. We do not have to leave our brains on the hook when we come into church to say Christ is risen. We can bring our brains with us and look at the evidence and say it points one way, which is that the tomb was empty and that the man who was dead rose from it in the greatest miracle the world has ever known. It was a great shock, but it's not fake news. Have we looked at the resurrection in those terms this morning? Not as fake news we'd quite like to believe, but no, ain't so. Or as real news based on a real event. But if the resurrection of Jesus is not fake news, what is it that turns it actually into good news? I mean, just because I suggested it did happen does not mean it's automatically good news for us 2,000 years later. What is it that makes the resurrection of Jesus good news today? I want to go back to those women by the tomb and explore how the resurrection of Jesus gave them and can give us, too, a new perspective in three key areas. First of all, the resurrection, it seems to me, gives a new perspective on Jesus. Look back with me to the words of the angels to the women in verses 6 to 7. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. The angels are reminding the women of God's plan, which Jesus had himself told them about when he was up in Galilee with them. A plan, he said, which would involve crucifixion and then resurrection. And the angels are saying, the resurrection is proof, you know, that everything has gone to plan. So when Luke tells us in verse 8, then they remembered his words, it means that it finally began to fall into place. Like the final piece of a jigsaw, making sense of the whole picture. The resurrection showed that everything had gone to plan, and that changed everything. You see, you'd be forgiven for, or the women would be forgiven, for thinking as they made their way to the tomb that morning that Jesus was a prophet who had failed to live up to his promise. A wonderful man who, like so many, had come up proper against the Romans. And his death by crucifixion was evidence of that. But as they digested the angel's words, the women began to see things differently. The crucifixion 
wasn't a sign that everything had gone wrong. It was a sign that everything had gone right. Jesus had said that he needed to die as a ransom for many. Now that made sense. Jesus' death hadn't been a waste. It was part of God's plan to save the world. The good news of the resurrection, you see, is it it helps us see Jesus for who he really is. Not a failed prophet who died a criminal's death, but a triumphant saviour. History is littered with charismatic heroes who ultimately failed to come good. It's the politician's curse to promise so much and deliver so little. Jesus is the other way round. His death seemed to promise nothing, but the resurrection showed that it delivered everything. When Jesus died on the cross that we remembered here on Friday, it's not the death of a failed prophet, but a loving saviour dying your death and mine that our sins deserve so that we can be restored to a relationship with God. We, We need good political leaders in our world today. But what we need most of all, most of all is a saviour who will bring humans who have wandered away from God back into relationship with him. The resurrection shows that Jesus is that saviour. It helps us see Jesus for who he really is and that his whole journey to Jerusalem and his death on the cross was part of God's wonderful plan for the world. The resurrection says, this guy's for real. Second, the resurrection gives a new perspective on death. You know, for all the technological changes in 2,000 years since that first Easter Sunday and today, one thing that has not changed, it seems to me, is the reality of death. The women that day, as they walked to the tomb, knew the reality and impact of death, the way it separated them from someone they loved, admired, and cared for. Jesus was dead, and it felt like the end of the world. Now, many of us know that feeling too. We can Skype people in in Australia at the touch of a button. But death separates us from others in a horrible way. Rio Ferdinand gave powerful testimony to that in his recent BBC documentary, Being Mum and Dad. I can't explore the depths of the emotions that arise in many of us as we consider this. But I do want to point us to the experience of the women as they looked at the empty tomb and considered the words of the angels proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. For if they heard or saw anything, it would have been that death did not have the final word. That however powerful it may seem, it could not hold Jesus. For Jesus had broken through the other side of death and therefore opened a way for all who would believe in him to follow. We we can't be sure how the women processed it that day, But we know that the early church began to see death itself very differently. In fact, before even Luke had written these gospels, the apostle Paul had written these words, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? If I may speak 
personally for a moment. Over the almost 11 years I have served as vicar in Claygate, some of the strongest memories I have have been praying with people from this church nearing the end of their lives. Saints on their way to glory. And in that time, and in praying to the risen Jesus in those moments, we have been reminded that death does not have the final word, but Jesus has made a way through death. As a farewell present, Mike, gave, Mike Barton gave me this picture. It contains a quote from C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle. In fact, the very final words of the book, as the children enter through death to the real Narnia, through the Shadowlands and the real Narnia, and see Aslan as he really is. They're words I've used a number of times in funerals here at HTC over the last 11 years. And they speak so powerfully to me of life in a new creation that lies the other side of death. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection means death itself is never the same. Thirdly, the resurrection gives a new perspective on Jesus, a new perspective on death, and it gives a new perspective on life. For if the women saw death differently because of the resurrection of Jesus, they certainly saw life differently as well. You can sense that, can't you, in their behavior as they kind of go from being sort of miserable people just hanging around the tomb to suddenly with the energy to go and tell the disciples he's risen. For this is what the resurrection of Jesus means. It means that he's alive. And it means he's able to be with us today. That he's not a figure of history, but a living Lord. I, I've told this story before on Alpha, but, um, but it's one I always think of on, on Easter Sunday. It, it, it goes to 1995. I was, I was visiting Russia on holiday with my father. We were in Moscow, and so obviously we visited Red Square just outside the Kremlin. And there, nestled into the Kremlin wall, is Lenin's mausoleum. And so we decided to try and visit it. Now, in uh, Soviet times, we would have had to queue up for hours, possibly even days, to get in. Lenin, as you'll know, was held up as a hero for Soviet people and was written about in books, commemorated in statues, fated in poems. But the closest you could actually get to Lenin was to queue up and view his body. And people would stand in a line for hours just to catch a glimpse of the man. Now on that September day in post-Soviet Russia, there was no queue at all. And we walked down the black marble corridor, our eyes adjusting to the darkness, and turned right at the end to see Lenin laid out there on the catafalque, his body preserved in formaldehyde, dressed immaculately in a Savile Row suit. Uh, we weren't really able to stay and look because the guards had got so used over the years to moving people on, they, 
they moved us on even though there was no cue to follow. And I remember thinking as I stepped into the bright September sunshine how remarkable it was that the sign of communism was a dead body and the genesis of Christian faith was an empty tomb. For the one was about a man who was very, very dead and the other showed a man who was alive. That's the difference. We're not worshipping somebody who is simply a figure of history. We can have a relationship with a God who is alive in Jesus today. Jesus is not only the one who can save us from our sins, who can hold us through death. He's the one who gives us life before death. He's alive today and he's the one who enables us to live as a people who are called, filled, loved and sent. We're told, you know, in our world today that so many things will make us happy. A great body, a shiny car, a fat salary, a big house, a successful education. There's fake news out there about how to get them all as quickly as possible. But hear this, please. The key to life in all its fullness is found in the one who burst forth from the grave that first Easter Sunday because he's alive today. Jesus Christ is the one who can give us lasting meaning and purpose and energy to serve others in good times and bad. If you come at 6.30 tonight, you'll hear stories at our adult baptism service of people who, from whatever background, some from no experience of Christian faith before, has come of adults to discover that Jesus is alive and at work in their lives. You'll hear stories about how people have come to realize that what they were living for wasn't satisfying, and there's only one person who can. For myself, I became a follower of Jesus Christ 25 years ago this year. I have never regretted for one moment following him, because I found that the life Jesus calls me to, a life of service and obedience, is liberating, joy-filled, and never dull. And the fact that Jesus is alive and with me through all the twists and turns makes all the difference in the world. He is not back there in history, just there to inspire me. He is alive with me by the Holy Spirit. He's not stuck back in a book like dear old Lenin and all the figures of the past. He is alive today, every morning, in the small hours of the night, at birth and at death and every hour in between. So I see Easter Sunday. I want to ask you, where do you see the resurrection of Jesus? Is it for you in a category of fake news? Or is it in the category of good news? I want to encourage you this morning to see it as good news. Good news because it shows us Jesus as the one who carried through God's saving plan. Dying on the cross for you and for me. Good news because it shows us that death is not the end, that death itself does not have the final word. And good news because it proves that Jesus is alive, can give us his spirit, and can give us new life today. If we are prepared to say the resurrection is not just true, it is also good news, then this Easter day 
we can know that life for ourselves. Let me pray for us.